the fear of learning to ride a bike. You've seen others do it, and you know you want to do the same. But the training wheels are safe. You know they're going to protect you from your fears. But there's this pull from within, a desire to step out by faith and remove those training wheels. Knowing that those very training wheels are barriers to your ultimate desire. Will you trust your father who says, you can do this. I'm right beside you. You have nothing to fear. You remove the training wheels, your source of comfort and safety. You place your life into the hands of the Father. And there's still what, what feels to be a tug of war between faith and safety. But then you decide to go all in, to by faith believe that what the Father says is true, so that you can ride freely into the life Christ has called you into. You know, one of the things as we've been walking through this process and, and really launching uh, this last week and, and talking about just a generosity initiative, uh, just as a whole, uh, one of the things that God has really been, I, I know challenging me with is, is how he wants to do a, a work in this church. He wants to do a work in me. And this whole initiative thing, it's just a tool. It's not the point. And so I, th I, th I think one of the things that we need to be reminded of is, is so often uh, we tend to elevate the tools of God into becoming the point. And they're not. They're tools to help us draw closer to the Lord. Uh, they're, they're tools to bring us to a place that he wants us to be, which is ultimately, uh, you know, at his feet, surrendered and ready to respond to him. And so this, in, in a unique way, in an unprecedented way for our church, is, is doing that. And it's so much greater than just this by uh, faith uh, initiative. And, and so as we go into this time, I want us to get a bigger perspective than just uh, what you may be thinking we're trying to accomplish. Ultimately, God's hand uh, is on this place and he's wanting to do something and we want to see him work. We want to see him work not just collectively as a church, but in our lives. And, and this chapter, Hebrews 11, it just, man, it, it is so incredible how it challenges us when it comes to faith. And before we go into that, I just want us to, to listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And it'll be on the screen behind me. But in Romans chapter 1, uh, the verse right before 17, it's describing the power of the gospel. And then in Romans chapter 1, 17, uh, it says, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so uh, this, is, this is how the righteous are to walk. It says, by faith. Now, now, what are some major takeaways from just that verse as we lead into this? You guys, first and foremost, true faith, true biblical faith, isn't just a single event. Okay, so uh, there is an act of faith that we would call saving faith. And that is me placing my faith 
my hope and trust in Jesus and him alone as my Lord and Savior. That is saving faith. When you make a decision to receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are by faith receiving him and you are forever changed. But you guys, that's not it. That, that, that's not all we were designed to do when it comes to living by faith. You guys, faith is a way of life. Faith endures. In fact, in James chapter 2, 17, it says, faith without works is dead. And so it was never meant to just be one thing, the saving faith. The saving faith was the beginning of an incredible journey where it says the righteous, they're going to live, they're going to walk by faith as they move forward. Now, what does that look like? How is that demonstrated? Hebrews 11.1. 1. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is the assurance, or in your translation, it may say the substance or the reality of things hoped for the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. So it's describing faith here, right? It's, it's describing uh, how biblical faith works and what it does. And, and, and what is it highlighting? It's saying how biblical faith, it makes things hoped for as real as if we already had them. And it provides unshakable evidence that the unseen spiritual promises and blessings of Christ are certain and they're real. In other words, it brings the future promises into the present and it makes the invisible seen. So faith at its core is placing my confidence and will in the trustworthiness of God. It's the conviction that, that what God has promised, what God has said is true and that what uh, he has promised is going to come to pass. It's, it's the conviction that that is true. It's obedience to the very words of God in spite of my circumstances and in spite of the potential consequences of that. Ooh, that's a big one, right? Because typically when it comes to um, God uh, promising or calling me out into something, uh, the first thing I do is I look at my present circumstances, don't I? Right? I, I first go, wait a second, where am I at? Uh, how are things like internally? Uh, I look at my job situation. Uh, I look at my family. I look at my kids. I look at my wife. And, and I'm evaluating uh, my present circumstances. Uh, and then the other thing that I go into is what are the consequences if I do this? So what does this mean, right? What will happen? And so then in my mind, I'm processing, well, if I do this, if I give that, if I move there, that means that these things could happen. And so I'm evaluating my circumstances and my consequences. But you guys, faith, obedience to the word of God is something that we move forward in in spite of whatever those things are. We trust his word and we act on it no matter what uh, our present circumstances are, no matter what the consequences may be, because faith is living in a hope that, is so, that it's so real that it gives us absolute assurance. The circumstances may be impossible. The consequences uh, may be like scary. In fact, you may fully believe that's not gonna work out. But we obey God's word is ultimately, we believe 
We trust him. Faith isn't some feeling that we can just manufacture. It's not this blind leap. I hear people uh, say, and I hear people tell other people, you just need to have faith. Or you just need to have faith in me, right? And whenever someone says that, I go, oh. Like there should be flares that go off in your mind the minute someone says that, right? And yet we, we see that said and done all, all throughout churches uh, with Christians talking to other uh, Christians. They will say, you just need to trust me. You just need to have more faith. It would be like me getting up here and going, hey, we got this massive, massive initiative and, and all of that. And we purchased a building and uh, you don't need to know the details. You just need to have faith in me. Guys, you should run for the hills if I ever say that because faith is a response to the revealed word of God. That's where your faith comes from. That's what drives the response. It's not somebody's ability to manipulate you, to convict you, to guilt you. It is coming from the word of God. And by knowing it comes from the word of God, uh, what we need to understand is it's also not limited to what's humanly possible. It actually thrives in the impossibilities. Why? Well, it says faith lives with the conviction or the certainty of things not seen. So it's going to draw me out. It's going to call me out into things that that aren't seen, that aren't knowable, that maybe no one's ever seen, right? Uh, And and things that the world would say, well, that's, that's, that's not smart. That's impossible. That can't happen. That's not real, right? Um, But then we read in verse 2 of chapter 11, it says, For by it, this very faith, the people of old received their commendation, right? So they are commended, the people of old, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, the people of old are commended because this is the kind of faith they had. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, listen up, church, go back and look at them. Why do we bring them up? Why am I going to absolutely just um, overwhelm you with names in Hebrews 11? So that you can see that this is what was special about their faith. This is what defined their faith. And then in verse 3, I love verse 3. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, what is verse 3 making it clear? It's making it clear that faith and faith alone, biblical faith, it enables us to understand what God does. And secondly, faith enables us to see what others cannot. And so as a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot or will not do. And you know, I don't have time to unpack all of Hebrews 11. I wish I did. But there's names that we're going to talk about. There's some names we're not, you know, uh, for some, we're not going to mention them just because you're still traumatized from judges. But uh, for others, uh, we're going to mention them, but I'm going to highlight some. And and in verses four and five, it it mentions uh, the faith of Abel and Abel and his incredible uh, act of sacrifice, his worship before the Lord. There was something distinctly different by faith about that. Enoch, uh, a, a guy who, who believed and had faith that the Lord said, you're gonna, I'm going to take you before you're even dead. And he believed 
believed that that was so, and he had this faith. But then we're confronted with verse six, and verse six is is really the verse uh, that that I don't really want to address. Uh, it's very uncomfortable, and it challenges us, and it's challenged me in a way that is very different. And that's why it's the theme for this initiative. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Wow. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You guys, this has been just eating away at me. All week. I mean, longer than that, but really this week. <laughs> Even more so. And, and, and I was like, why is it eating away at me? <laughs> right? Like, have you ever read scripture or heard a sermon? You're like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I so convicted? Why do I not like that? Uh, what is it? Why is there a tension in my stomach? Why is that there? And so I, I just started unpacking that for, my, for myself uh, this week. And whenever someone says, hey, that was convicting, I'm like, ah, it was horrible for me all week. So, uh, but this one just started doing a number on me. And, and, and I, I just started going, why? Why is this doing this? Why am I feeling this way about this verse? I, I, I mean, I knew I was going to do this verse. I've talked about this verse for months now. Why is it now doing a number on me? And, and I figured something out that I hadn't figured out before when it comes to this verse and why it challenges me so much. And this is what I came away with. This is challenging me because so often I evaluate where I'm at with the Lord based upon what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. So I typically evaluate where I'm at with the Lord based upon like what I'm doing, right? Like, uh, am I reading your word? Am I praying? Am I going to church? Am I giving? Uh, am I serving? Uh, how am I as a neighbor? Like all these things I'm like evaluating by what I'm doing, right? And then on, on the flip side of that, I'm, I'm also then evaluating what I'm not doing, right? Like I'm evaluating sins uh, that have either been in my past or they continue to try to be a part of my present. And I'm going, how am I doing? Okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not thinking that way. Fantastic. And so usually when I evaluate my relationship with the Lord, it's dominated by those two thoughts, right? It's dominated by, is there sin? Am I doing well addressing that sin? Am I handling it in a biblical way? Am I avoiding it? Uh, am I making the right decisions? And then secondly, what am I doing for the Lord? Lord, right? Am I, am I going through these spiritual disciplines? Am I consistent? Am I faithful? And if I check those boxes, I feel good about me. The problem with Hebrews eleven six it says that doesn't work. That's why I don't like it. Because I rarely, I think for some of us, if ever, Rarely ask if I'm living by faith. And that's what's so uncomfortable about Hebrews eleven six. 6. 
is it cuts away at all these things that spiritually we use to feel right, to feel good about where we're at. And Hebrews 11, 6 just literally like just peels back uh, the layers uh, of where you're at like an onion and gets to the core and, and it just addresses what's there or not there. And it says, you either trust me and you're either daily walking by faith with me or you're not. And if you're not, stop saying you're right with me. See, if, if I'm not living by faith, it means I don't fully believe or I don't fully trust him. And that's why I don't like it. I, it's saying, Steve, you don't believe what he says is best for you. You don't believe that what he's saying is best. You don't, you don't believe him. Uh, you don't trust the outcome here. That's why you're not willing to engage in this. You're not, you're not trusting the outcome. That, like, that's what's confronting me. And you know what, you guys? That's the opposite of faith, isn't it? It's the very opposite. It's doing everything I can to eliminate outcomes uh, so that every outcome is seeable, knowable, controllable from my perspective, right? Uh, and, and you guys, what's the key there? My perspective, that's the key when we evaluate all these things. You know why? Because my perspective is limited to me. My perspective is limited to what I know, right? It's limited to what I know based upon my past and all of that. Uh, it's limited physically, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's really the challenge is we get caught up when it comes to God leading us and calling us into things, uh, especially things that are uncomfortable. What happens is we get into this mindset of, well, well, how can I control what's going to happen here? Or I'll only move forward if I know this is going to be the outcome. The problem is you are basing all of that off of your perspective. And your perspective is limited by you. I don't know about you, but that's not comforting. I'm very aware that I have some clear limitations. Right? Like, I mean, there's, there's, there's conversations that I get into and I'm like, man, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right? I'm limited there. Physically. Oh my goodness, am I limited. Right? I mean, I was, uh, I did this, I did this race like a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago. And it brought me back to 10 years ago when I ran uh, my first marathon. And, and I remember when uh, I was thinking about just my mindset for that and just how not smart that was. And uh, now, some of you just run for fun. That's fantastic. I don't. Uh, and, and I was never long distance runner. I was always sprinter. And, and, but somebody, uh, you know, I don't know how they did it, but they convinced me that it was a good idea to do a marathon, you know, 10 years ago. And, and, and so I remember, and I've shared about this before, but I, gosh, I just remember thinking, I'm in great shape. This shouldn't be a problem. Right? Like, like to myself, I'm saying things like, Steve, you're in good shape. Like, yeah, this, you know, this is, this isn't going to be a problem. And this is, also speaks to the friends you have in your life. They were affirming that. Uh, and, and, and so, so I agreed to do this and, and, and it was like a couple months out. Just, just don't do that. And all these bad decisions, but all of it was made under a perspective that I had of me. Right? I thought physically, I can do this. No problem. That was my view of me, right? And then obviously I ran it 
and experienced what so many of you have experienced. It's awful. It's terrible. It's very long. Like it's longer than you think it's going to be. And then, uh, you know, at the end, like I just, I, I remember like in no way would anyone go, wow, that was successful because I remember crossing and, and it was not at all like, you know, like there's none of that. I wasn't kissing babies. Like nothing was happening other than the medical team was staring me down because they're like, he's the next to go, right? Like that's all that was happening. And what that is a constant reminder of you guys is there are clear physical limitations that I have, that I operate in. But you guys, when we talk about faith, God got the biblical kind of faith. It operates outside of all that. So the problem is when I take anything that God calls me to do, what he's leading me to or the promises of God, and I filter them through me, it creates me limitations to it. It creates a limitation to what I, I, I think can happen. It also uh, creates a huge gap in, in even what uh, is, is an option for me, right? It, it's, it's the difference. Uh, and some of you can remember this. Some of you can't because you're younger and that's awesome for you. But I remember when, when I, I moved to San Diego, uh, I had a big atlas that was in my car all the time. And I would use that to to know where I was going, right? And, and two things that I always would rely on to where I was going is either the Atlas or my history of driving. And so that was the driver, like when, when I was gonna go somewhere. Uh, but then they came out with these cool apps, which were just amazing. And all of a sudden that Atlas like became a phone. And, and, and then all of a sudden I can like Google where I'm going uh, and, and this app or Google Maps, it will, it will all of a sudden, it will show me my destination and then it was miraculous. It would tell me if traffic was bad or construction and then, or a wreck, and then it would redirect me to my destination. It was life-changing. How, I, I, how, how, how was that so life-changing? Well, I went from something with clear limitations to something that had a whole picture of the route. Something that knew that there were other roads that could get to the same destination. Something that knew that there would be pitfalls if you just go by what you know. If you just take the route that you've always taken or you take a map that's really just dead uh, versus something that knows that's alive, that has your best interests in mind and is, is, is directing you with a complete picture. And you guys, that's the father. The father has a complete picture. And so when the father leads you, calls you, promises something to you and is moving you in that direction, you guys, uh, you, have to be, you have to be able to get beyond your fears, uh, your perception, what you think you know, right? Because he has a complete picture. He knows everything that has to happen to get you there. And so whatever he's gonna call you to do or called you to go and to do or to give or to sacrifice or to move to, he's, he's one, he's complete. He's in complete control. He's sovereign. So he's over all of the maps, all of the hazards, all of the wrecks, all of the construction. And he goes, I know which road you need to go. You don't, just trust me. Just trust me. I have this outcome. I want you to get there, but you're gonna have to trust me. You're gonna have to obey me. And guess what? You're gonna go on some side streets that you wouldn't pick. There's gonna be some detours. There's gonna be some things that you're gonna say, this is not progress, this is backwards. There's gonna be some moments where you're afraid. And you trust me. You trust him. And this is why that image of the little girl learning to ride a bike just breaks my heart every time I, I watch it. I'm just, I'm moved by it. Because 
She has to trust her dad. She has to trust him. And I know that the opposite is me putting limits on this. And that's what my perspective does. It brings limits. You guys, faith is only limited by what God knows and what God can do. And he is limitless. And so you guys, uh, we go to the father and, and we allow uh, him to, to reveal that desired plan. We, we, we fall in line uh, with the obedience for what he's called you to with your life, but you're only gonna get there through trusting, believing, and obeying him, the very one with the complete picture. And so I just wanna ask this question. And it's an uncomfortable question, but we're already there. Why can't you trust him right now? Why? Or why don't you? There's so many things, right? And I, I mean, like I said, this ate me up all week. And so I, I got to sit in it and I was like, what, what is it? What is it in me? Why, why can't I fully trust him? Or why don't I? And there's stories, right? All of you have stories. All of us have stories in this room, right? And, and, and we all have like great reasons, right? We've, we've seen this. I've heard that. I've seen this Christian do this. They did that to me. They were a fraud. They were a hypocrite. This pastor did that or said that, or this church did that. Or, like, we have every reason in the world, right? We do. And some of them are very valid uh, as to why we go, well, I, 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 I just can't or I won't and, and, and all that. But you guys... Uh, when are we going to deal with that? Because Hebrews 11.6 says, it doesn't say, hey, if you've got some baggage or this happened or that, it's okay. You can still like not live by faith and it's, and it's still, you'll be blessed. Like, no, it says we can't. Faith is, is essential. It's not like this, this thing that we can go, I'll, I'll I'll do this or I won't. Like, no. And so we have to sit in that moment and ask, what is it right now for me? What is it? Is it something specific? Is it my past? Is it a fear of the future? Because I can't say I'm pleasing to the Lord if I'm not taking these steps of faith. And then he gives us some examples, this writer, right? Gives us some examples. We get examples of Noah, multiple of Abraham uh, and Sarah and then Moses. And, and so like what, what made their faith special? Why are they mentioned here? Uh, well, verse seven, it mentions Noah, doesn't it? And it says this, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the, righteous, or the righteousness that comes by faith. And so, and so Noah is told something, right? Uh, he's told something and many believe they hadn't even seen rain at that point. And, and much less any kind of flood. And, and yet God says, hey, I'm going to flood the earth and I want you to build the most ridiculous boat ever seen, ever heard of. And Noah's like, okay, God. Right? Now, financially, was that a wise move? No. Time-wise, 
years, 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 just like gone, right? And so all these things are battles going on in Noah's heart and mind, and yet he trusted the voice of God. He was obedient when no one else would be, right? And, and, and so he uh, literally goes through this process, builds this ark, and just trusts in the Lord. Uh, we see Abraham mentioned, and we go, well, what is so special uh, about Abraham? In, in, in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Oh, greatest fear, right? By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with, the, with him of the same promise. For he's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, so, uh, hey, Abraham, I got this great plan for you. I want you to move, and I want you to go somewhere, and you don't know where it is. You okay? I want you to go there. By faith, Abraham believes the voice of the Lord. He believes in the plans that the Lord has for him. He moves. And he goes. And he takes his massive family with him. Right? Uh, and, and, and so, incredible. But he's mentioned twice. And then uh, we, we read later about him in verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? I mean, I think a, a piece of scripture that would just, man, I don't, I don't even want to touch that. I don't want to think about that. Where God has promised Abraham that you're going to be the father of these nations through this son, this miracle baby. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice him. Our greatest fear, right? God essentially calling out, is your child an idol? Have your hopes transferred from me? Am I your first? Am I your best? Am I preeminent? Or has your child become that? This miracle baby. And I'd imagine Abraham grieved over this. And yet his trust was so strong. It says he went to sacrifice his son but even in that, he trusted that God would raise that child back from the dead because God had promised that inheritance through that child. Is that not amazing? God, even if you call me to do this thing that, God, you even say is wicked, and even if you call me to do it, I will do it because I believe in your promises. That's incredible faith. We see Sarah, his wife, right? In, in, in verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. God's like, hey, you're, you're gonna have this child. And she is like, no way, I am so old. And God's like, I, I'm in charge of your body. I'm in charge of what can, what can't happen. 
It says, by faith, she responded in that. Moses, what was special about Moses? Well, verses 24 through 27, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What, what, wow. What was so special about Moses' faith? You guys, Moses had everything handed to him. Like, like literally, Moses is rescued from suffering, from unimaginable pain as a slave, and supernaturally, he is like put in this wicker basket, brought right there to Pharaoh's daughter, and now from that moment on, when she says, yes, I want that child, he is in line for everything. Right now, now you and I, if we're Moses, we're like, God is so good. God is so good, right? Like, you know, maybe God's going to use me later and all this. But I mean, life is handed to you. You are in the elite of the elite of the world. You will never have to worry about wealth. In fact, he may even be in line to be the next Pharaoh. Everything is set for him, right? Financially, wealth, notoriety, anything and everything people place emphasis on, Moses was getting it. And yet Moses feared disobedience to the Lord over fear of a Pharaoh. There was a calling. There was a, and he says, no. And he goes by faith to be with the very people that were despised. Incredible faith, clinging to a promise. What did they all have in common? Well, Hebrews eleven thirteen it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then at the end of Hebrews 11 and 39, it says, after it talks about a bunch of these others, and it talks about what they went through for the Lord. And it is crazy. You should read it. But in verse 39, it says, in all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You guys, all of them that are listed here, they were able to look at what was promised by God in the future as a reality for the today, right? That's what was so special, right? There, there, there wasn't any confusion as to where is my true eternal home, right? The continual temptation to make today, to make my circumstances, to make this life it, or to go, no, God is, 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 is preparing a, a home for me, an eternal home in heaven. And so this is not my home. And so how they lived and thought in the present was determined by an eternal view, not based upon their circumstances. And you guys, that's the kind of faith that changes what we believe as being possible. 
I mean, Luke uh, chapter 1, 37, we read, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with him. And, and, and we see in, in Matthew 17, uh, there's a demon uh, that has possessed this, this boy, and, and the disciples pray over this boy. They can't get this demon out. Jesus comes up, and he, and he criticizes the lack of faith. And in verse 20, this is what he says. He says, because of your little faith, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He says, listen, disciples, you're wondering why you can't do this. Your faith is too small. Your view of me is too small. And so when we have the right perspective, it changes everything. Secondly, what do these people have in common that are listed here? Their faith came from the word of God. Their faith came from the word of God, right? Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. It's not self-manifested. That's why if you come up to me and say, hey, Steve, you should do this. You should take that step of faith. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, I need to go to the Lord with that. Why? Because it's of the Lord. It's going to confirm it. And I need to hear from the Lord. And what else does biblical faith do? It releases the results to the Lord. And I think that is something that absolutely confronts us in Hebrew 11, right? In Hebrews 11, we're confronted with, if God is glorified by delivering his people, he'll do it. But if he would be glorified in a greater way by not delivering his people, he'll also do that. And so we can never grade God or conclude that the absence of a deliverance or perceived arrival is, is because of this lack of faith in my life. No, because here's the reality. The people in Hebrews 11, what does it say about them? They didn't receive what was promised. Guys, don't miss that. This is not a popular message like out of Hebrews 11. In fact, we're like conveniently, eh, I don't see that. Like, no, it, it says it over and over, right? It multiple times says, okay, this is what's so special. This is what's unique about them. These are individuals uh, that, that did not receive what was promised, but we see that they had God as a witness to their faith, that one day they'd be rewarded. And so by living as though the, the, the promise had already been answered, delivered, you guys, they ultimately didn't need the answer. Like it took away the need for the result. Okay, I'm gonna say this, and, and this is tough. You may never see the results in this lifetime of your by faith step. You may not see it in your lifetime. What God may be calling you to is something for your kids, something for their kids, something for somebody else to see, something that he's going to use to intersect and, and, and intervene in someone else's life. And you have no idea about it. And, and, and so I think one of the continuous, reminder, continuous reminders throughout scripture, and in particular Hebrews 11, is, is this. We need to stop basing success or failure upon God delivering on what we believe we should have. Whether that's healing, whether that's prosperity, whether that's um, this situation, or God, you've called me to that, I've been faithful. Where's the result? Why hasn't this happened? 
right? And then we, and then we turn away, but you guys, it's never, but that's not the point. Like in Hebrews 11, we see that's not the point. Uh, the point is, can I trust God by faith? Can I trust him even when I don't see the outcome? Can I trust that his promises are true uh, in, in spite of that? Because what's so awesome is, is their faith challenges us in ours because their faith, as they were continually, continually reminded, there's gonna be a savior king that comes and rescues your people. Uh, we get to live in the fulfillment of that promise, amen? We get to live in the fulfillment looking, back, fulfillment looking back and going, we have the resurrected Christ to point back to and we go, there is victory today. And so our faith looks different, right? Because now what's the promise we're clinging to? Wow. Like, I don't know. Um, he's coming back every day. I get to live on that promise. And he's coming back. And no matter what you say, what you throw, what, what the enemy throws at me, I am good because that is happening. And I get to live today like that's a reality. It's not some distant, disconnected thing from how I'm living uh, today. And so here's the other aspect of faith that is so critical for us to talk about. In Ephesians 6, 16, uh, it says this about faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, why is that such an important message? We get so consumed about how faith calls us out uh, into taking these steps, and we miss out on how faith protects us. When you live a life by faith, it not only moves you uh, into a walk with the Lord that you've never entered into, but it also guards and protects you, right? What does it protect us from? Well, it says this, this constant onslaught of flaming darts sent by the enemy. Okay, now the enemy is Satan, and, and he clearly does not want you, does not want this church, does not want God's people to take these steps of faith. And so every temptation whether it's directly or indirectly, is the temptation to doubt and to distrust God. That's it. That's what he wants. He wants to drive a wedge between those who are saved and their savior. I mean, he even tempted God's own son to distrust God, didn't he? In Matthew 4, in the wilderness, right? Uh, he, he, he tries to tempt him. He's like, he, and the first was, I want you uh, to really think about the provision of the father, right? And he's trying to get him to distrust that, that, that God would take care of him. Ooh, that's one, right? Second, uh, to distrust God's protection. That God would actually protect him. Third, he tries to get Jesus to distrust the plan. You guys, he's attempting the very same thing with you and me. He wants me to doubt God. He wants to create distance between me and God. He wants God's words to be foggy. He wants God's direction for my life uh, to, to just to, to be this thing that I can excuse away because it's not a reality. Because when I begin to doubt, distrust God and allow distance between me and God to take place, it paralyzes my faith and it confuses the message. And so that is what Satan is is, is completely at work in doing. And that's why last week's message is so critical. You can't have faith if Christ isn't in his place. 
And so living by faith, it protects me because it's a continued demonstration that God is my first, that he's my best, that he is the driver. And so that kind of faith, it protects me from fear. It protects me from doubt. It protects me from convenience and mediocrity and from this just becoming this empty religious experience, the very things that Satan wants to turn all of it into so that you just start living off of the faith of your past and not the faith in the present that God wants. And that's why in 1 John 5, 4, it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Guys, if there isn't faith, there isn't trust. And that means Christ isn't preeminent, something else is. And usually for me, that's safety or it's a fear. And when I'm in that state, all of the responses I made to what the Lord asked me to do are controlled off of knowable outcomes. I'll do this, God, if I know that's going to happen. I'll sacrifice here if, uh, if I can see that you're going to do that work. I'll give, but I'll only give here if I know that this is how you're going to cause it all to look uh, together. But you guys, faith calls me to look beyond circumstances and respond to one and one voice alone, the voice of God. And it's asking me to trust him, to release my fears, my desire for, for control, and even the outcomes that I think I need to happen. And he says, I want you to place them at my feet. And here's what else is just challenging about this as we close our time. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 5, it says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Guys, this is, this is what's so tough when we take these by faith steps in our life is we get criticized for it. The world criticizes, criticizes you. Here's what's also difficult. Christians criticize you, right? Like, you're like friendly fire, come on, right? And what's tough is, 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 is they'll point out your flaws. They'll point out reasons why you're, you're unqualified, why you can't do this, or, or that's unsafe. Ooh, that's a popular one. That's not responsible. That's another popular one. Uh, that's too much of a risk. Uh, all these things. And, and then you go back to Hebrews 11, and you go, what in the world am I caring about then? Because what you see is, is the faith that God is going to call you to, you are going to be criticized for. And secondly, and this is what's really difficult, it's going to be isolating. It's going to be isolating. These individuals, they were isolated, man. They, they, they were, it felt like just them. And it felt like they just had to be obedient to God and uh, obedient to the Lord. And guys, here's what's so cool about the season we're in. Uh, I was highlighting this at the first gathering where it just hit me. I'm looking around. I see some green shirts and, and Ian's up here giving announcements. And I look at him and, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, how cool is it that he right now is praying and processing over what does it look like to live a life by faith right now? What does it look like to be obedient to the Lord? And I'm doing the same thing. And how awesome is it that we're all together in that place versus me just in my silo trying to figure this out? This is a powerful moment for our church. This is huge because we, we, we don't have to look at this and just go, ah, what am I going to do? Like, no, like we, us, together, he's calling and moving us into this incredible place with the Lord. And so God enables us to turn from the approval to others to only the approval of God. And so will the plans for my life be realized? Will the plans for this church? And will I trust and rely upon him and him alone. And so, man, as I'm praying over God wants to do in my life, yeah, I'm praying over this commitment card and what he wants to do in and through me and my family, but it's so much bigger than that. 
is so much bigger than that. And, and now I find that my requests are, Lord, give me faith. Give me faith. It's stop being, hey, help me stop doing that. Lord, just give me faith. Give me faith. Or, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. As, as George Mueller said, difficulties are food for faith to feed on. And I just love that, you guys, because there's always something scared about taking a step of faith with the Lord. But you guys, once again, we have the promise that we are not left alone to figure it all out. Jesus is coming back for us, amen? And so let's just go to the Lord now. Let's respond to him. Let's allow him to work and to move into the areas that he's brought up in our hearts and our lives. Let's pray.